In the finance industry, many people have a computer on their desk called a Bloomberg Terminal. A Bloomberg Terminal contains news, stock prices, communication tools, and other features that make it worth a high subscription price. And people in finance can afford to pay that high subscription because their decisions can cause a gain or loss of thousands of dollars. Cryptocurrency investors have a similar set of informational problems as traditional financiers. There's a flood of information, financial quotes are inconsistent across different exchanges, opinions from Twitter and Reddit can be tremendously useful if they are captured and leveraged correctly. Santiment is a platform that is working to build a Bloomberg terminal for cryptocurrency investors. Santiment has raised 45,000 Ether in their ICO last July, which was originally an amount equal to $11 million. When they raised it, it's since gone up in value. Valentin Mihov is the CTO of Santiment, and he joins the show to explain what Santiment's product does and how the token holders will ultimately derive value from Santiment's ecosystem. If you are interested in attending a Software Engineering Daily meetup, we've got three coming up. We've got one in New York, one in L.A., and one in Boston. And you can find out more about those by going to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash meetup. I'd love to see you there. If you are looking for an internship, you can apply to the Software Engineering Daily internship at softwaredaily.com slash jobs. You can find our internship opportunities there. And if you're looking to find out what we're working on, you can check out the Software Engineering Daily open source project at github.com slash softwareengineeringdaily. We've got iOS and Android apps that people are working on. We've got our web app, and everything is getting better and improving and getting polished all the time. We're working on some great community features, and of course, we've got all of the episodes and a recommendation engine built into the app. So if you're looking for new episodes of Software Engineering Daily, the apps are the place to go. So with that, let's get on with this episode. Valentin Mihov is the CTO at Santiment. Valentin, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Well, thank you for having me. Santiment is trying to be a cryptocurrency Bloomberg terminal. Let's unpack those terms. I think we all know what a cryptocurrency is. Some of us may not know what a Bloomberg terminal is. Could you explain what a Bloomberg terminal does? Well, a Bloomberg terminal is uh, basically a data source which provides you with a lot of information about, let's say, the world of stocks, but not only stocks, also like commodities and everything that's uh, traded on the market, basically. And it gives you a lot of information, and you use this information to decide what to buy and when and when to sell and all that. Yeah. And these pieces of information are coming from data feeds. So a, in a Bloomberg terminal, there's all these data feeds that get aggregated into information like the prices of stocks and the prices of bonds. And then there's, of course, news information as well. And people in traditional finance pay a lot of money to have this essentially an operating system for finance. How do the needs of people in crypto compare, to, and I should say cryptocurrency, otherwise I'll get my head chopped off by people who are in cryptography on Twitter. 
How do the needs of people in cryptocurrencies compare to the needs of those traditional finance people? Well, I would say that right now, these two groups of people may be a little bit different, like actually maybe quite a bit different, mainly because the cryptocurrencies market, let's say, it's a kind of a, in an early age. Uh, there is quite a lot of hype happening. And there is also quite a lot of FUD, which is you know, basically false news and price manipulation and all that. I would say that maybe uh, cryptocurrencies are, well, there was certainly a similar period for stocks and traditional markets, you know, many years ago, which cryptocurrencies are experiencing right now. And, you know, and this is the reason why the traditional markets are quite regulated and there are you know, very strong laws and all that. But I think as the market matures, people will start to need much uh, better data sources to make their decisions. They won't be driven only by reading some random piece of news on some random website. They will need a central platform where they can educate themselves about the crypto assets and uh, figure out what's going on and which news are actually worthy and which are actually a FUD. So in, in that sense, I think right now, in cryptocurrencies, it's still maturing, but eventually, as these assets uh, and markets mature and get more regulated and all this, I think their needs will be actually quite equivalent. Basically, good data sources that people can rely on to make their investment decisions. In traditional finance, there are trading shops with hundreds sometimes thousands of traders who are working these complex pieces of software that have been built over years and years, and they can create very complex trades, partially because the traditional finance system has all of the right technological hooks built in, as well as the right securities built in. So you can do these very complex trades where the right type of downside is capped, the right side of upside is uncapped, and you can make that kind of trade because of a collection of options and futures and stocks and perhaps currencies. You can make very basically any thesis that you can have in traditional finance. You can model that thesis through a collection of assets. How mature is crypto in that regard, at cryptocurrencies? Can you buy all of the necessary futures and options and things to create very complex trades? Well, right now, I would say that talking about futures, only Bitcoin uh, provides these futures uh, that were rolled out, uh, I think, mid of December, so quite recently. So from, from that perspective, like in, when you uh, put like insurance and all that and credit ratings and all this, it's, it's quite complicated in the traditional world. Right now in uh, crypto assets, it's much uh, less complicated. I think it's mainly, you know, futures for Bitcoin. And also there are several platforms that provide margin trading so that, you know, you, you don't need to actually own uh, a given asset. You can actually borrow it and short it and all this. So in that sense, the amount of deals that you can do is actually not so, so rich as uh, in the traditional markets. But on the other hand, when you talk about hooks and, and let's say 
programmatic trading and all this. Actually, I would say that crypto is, is quite far ahead. Well, maybe not ahead from traditional markets, but it's very easy to, to write a bot, let's say, that does uh, you know, uh, trading and uh, buying and selling. Uh, no, something that I think we've seen from traditional markets in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or something like this. Like, I mean, for traditional markets, you know, given how much time they've been around, like APIs that like a regular Joe can take and write a bot is something that, you know, appeared, I don't know, I'm not sure, but maybe 10 years ago. With crypto, it's something that's been there almost from day one. You know, these uh, platforms that allow you to, to trade, uh, they have APIs and you can write some JavaScript and start trading. <laughs> Do you know if, to what degree, the traditional financial shops have set up cryptocurrency desks? Are most of them doing it or are only some of them doing it? How much adoption in traditional finance has there been of cryptocurrency trading? I can't say a, a precise number here, but from some hallway talk I had with some people, I know that a lot of hedge funds, let's say, and you know, such kind of more risk-oriented institutions, let's say, are trading crypto right now. Hmm. So in traditional finance, there are certain types of trades that can only be done if you have the lowest latency data feed. Does this phenomenon exist in cryptocurrency or does everybody have access to the same data with equal like latency between them? Well, that's an interesting question. I haven't investigated quite a lot high frequency trading. There is definitely a lot of arbitrage that's happening on the market between different marketplaces. And also, I guess, you know, but this is just a wild guess. If a certain platform is hosted, let's say, I don't know, in Korea, I'm certainly sure that people that are trying to do arbitrage will try to find, let's say, a cloud provider that is very close to this marketplace so that they can get a lower latency to their APIs. I'm pretty sure that this is happening. Uh, but also given that all these markets, they have APIs, I think there is quite a lot of arbitrage happening but there are some limitations there, particularly around the technology. For example, if you want to do arbitrage with Bitcoin, you actually can't transfer funds between markets very fast because of the confirmation time of the transactions. Maybe with Ethereum, it will be a bit easier because the blocks are produced faster there. But there are some limitations like this. And also, when we talk about arbitrage, there are some very interesting limitations around regulation. There is this thing called kimchi premium in Korea. If you open a Korean marketplace, you're going to see that the prices there are much higher than on the regular markets. And they have a very strong regulations around money getting in and out of the country. So you can't really do automated rebalancing of funds between a Korean and non-Korean exchange. So there are, there are stuff like that. I'm not sure. I haven't heard of people that are trying to do like front running and and stuff like that. Maybe maybe they are, but I, I just don't have any any info about this. I can ask, but yeah, they don't research that. Hmm. So when we're talking about the crypto Bloomberg that you're building, this is essentially the operating system, the pane of glass 
that a cryptocurrency trader, a cryptocurrency investor, would want to use as their point of access to lots of other data feeds and screens and knowledge resources like due diligence resources that they can use to power the knowledge for their investments. So in order to create this single pane of glass, this knowledge repository for cryptocurrency information, you need to grapple with all these different data feeds that are coming in and you need to aggregate them and you need to present them. What kinds of data feeds are we talking about? What kinds of data feeds are there in cryptocurrency that you want to present to the financial cryptocurrency investor? So you start with the simplest ones, which is you know price and volume. This is something that you definitely need. Then you continue with news sources. Uh, that will be like Twitter, Reddit, different news websites, even some chats where you know crypto is discussed. You also have the, all the blockchain information that's out, out there. You can actually get quite interesting information out of this. You have exchange data. So what's happening on exchanges? You know, margin, number of margin calls. You have uh, spreads between uh, bits and asks. Maybe I can think of some others, but these are, I think, the basic ones that we're talking about. And also you have, you know, insights from people, you know, people writing about different assets. You can probably classify this as news, but I would say it's more like analysis from um, experts, let's say. This is also an important part. Right. So you've got, obviously, the, the feeds of prices, which are bid and ask prices across the different exchanges, for example. That's pretty straightforward type of information. But I think that the namesake of sentiment is the sentiment analysis, the ability to pull in information from a variety of people and aggregate that into sentiment analysis. Can you explain what sentiment analysis is? So sentiment analysis is basically analyzing what is the sentiment of a given text document. It could be like a tweet, it could be a news article, it could be like a Reddit post or, or just uh, some sentence in a chat. And in the best scenario, you want to figure out what this text is talking about, like which crypto asset is talking about, and also whether its sentiment is like bullish, bearish, or just neutral. So when you have a system that aggregates data from different sources, and if you have, let's say, an artificial intelligence that's able to recognize each of these posts or news articles, what is their sentiment, you can aggregate this across all the data sources and then get a picture, an overall picture of what is the sentiment of the market right now. And you can also break this down according to different crypto assets. So this is basically the analysis that uh, we are doing. So are we talking about analysis of Twitter people? Yep, this is part of it. What are the other sources of sentiment? That will be Reddit. Reddit is very active in uh, the crypto world. Also, there are different uh, so-called troll boxes, like chats on exchanges where people are talking about the assets and what's happening with the price right now. You have also some other chats like Telegram, where people are discussing stuff. So 
such kind of sources, basically. And also, you know, news feeds, too. Now, the sentiment about a typical currency on Twitter or Reddit can easily be faked by an avalanche of bot activity. And the bot activity may not reflect the sentiment that will be reflected in the price movements of that cryptocurrency. How do you avoid getting confused by bots? Well, you basically need to classify accounts, whether they're bots or not. You need to be kind of careful uh, what you're following. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a game of cat and mouse, you know. People are figuring out, you know, ways to disguise their their bots and stuff like that. But usually it's not actually so hard to to find them. I mean, usually when people try to trick, uh, to to create fake accounts and use them to trick people, they they don't try to trick machines at the moment. Like I, I haven't seen, no, usually they're not so sophisticated. So you can do analysis of the accounts and figure out whether they're bots or not. Are you sure about that? Because I'm pretty sure Twitter and Reddit themselves and Facebook have tremendous problems identifying bots versus humans. Yeah, well, to be honest, this is one of the challenges that's in front of us to to tackle. Right now, we rely mostly on compiling lists of interesting accounts that we want to follow. And we are investigating, like, we we are collecting the data and we're looking into it and trying to, to clean it up as much as possible. So it's definitely a problem that I can't say that we tackled and we resolved, but we are in the process of, you know, looking into it and figuring it out. So your approach right now is just to whitelist people who are clearly saying interesting things. Yes. Okay, I see. Do you have access to any proprietary data feeds? I think right now we don't use any proprietary data feeds. We're in talks with some people that might be willing to give us some uh, data feeds. But the thing is, like, we need to be sure that these people, when they provide us a data feed, they're going to keep it up and running. Like, we, we want to be sure that they, it won't just disappear at some point and, you know, leave us just out there. So, you know, in that sense, uh, using providers like Reddit, Twitter, you know, exchanges and stuff, we know that these people will be around for a long time. If it's someone that just compiled some interesting data feed, we need to be sure that he'll be keeping this around. And also, to be honest, the data feeds out there, there are very few there that are actually quite sophisticated. Even, like, I I can give you an interesting example. Um, Right now, there are several websites that are tracking GitHub activity on projects. And if you dig into their data, you're going to find out that actually... For many of the projects, this data is really not accurate. And it's not very accurate uh, for a very simple reason. They count the number of commits for each project. But if you fork, let's say, Bitcoin, you're going to start with uh, thousands of commits and hundreds of contributors in your Uh, project. So you'll be very far forward, you know. For example, if you look at these websites, you, you see that cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin Gold, which, you know, probably most people haven't heard about, is like in the top 10 of death activity, which is just not true. Like they don't have hundreds of contributors and thousands of commits. 
that's you know and so you need to be really careful when you collect such kind of data and we actually developed uh, our own development activity uh, tracking which is you know it's not immune to forgery let's say but it, at least it doesn't have this problem with forking uh, you know when you fork uh, i don't know the linux kernel you will be like on the top of the list well what you're describing is that in cryptocurrency there may or may not be proprietary data feeds that will be useful but what there definitely is is an avalanche of information that is available to the public and that information may not be easy to parse so you know even the example of whitelisting people who are clearly interesting within the cryptocurrency discussion community i think that's a useful tool I think if you talk about building a system that can accurately measure GitHub activity or the activity of the the commitment community or even the activity in GitHub discussions, which may or may not, you know, you know like you have this um, this Ethereum. There's some Ethereum debate raging right now around some governance issues. I know. And that's important developments that may or may not be measured in traditional metrics around how much activity is going on in a GitHub repository. So you've got all this information that needs to be marshaled and centralized, hopefully, into some single pane of glass that you can interact with as a cryptocurrency trader, rather than always having to have 50 tabs open and have your browser be your Bloomberg terminal. And I think the other aspect of a product that you have a chance to build is a really nice UI that is purpose-built for this effort. So maybe you could talk from a top-down perspective. When somebody logs into Santiment, what kinds of information do they want to be met with when they open up the Santiment UI? So we just rolled out an updated version of our uh, main page for tracking some Ethereum projects. And we are in the process of extending this list to many, many other projects. Currently, we try, so we collect a lot of data, but we don't present it all. Because as you said, it's very important to show the data in a nice format that people understand it. Um, We figured out that if a data source is not very well refined, people will not be able to easily get the handle of it. And and also, as I said, because the crypto markets are currently maturing, uh, in a process of maturing, actually, you need to start with some, you know, very simple, very basic uh, metrics that people can understand easily and figure out what they're actually showing. You can't show them some really complicated feed. Or if it's a kind of complicated, you need to dumb it down, you know, to, to be able to show it in a nice way. And I think this is, you know, awesome for sentiment because, you know, we, we did the ICO and we have the funding so we, we can afford to, you know, hire very good front-end people that will work on making a good UI. Right now, what we show in our uh, projects page is a list of all the projects for which we know uh, their team wallets. Uh, so this is the wallets where they collected the money from the ICO. And we track, uh, so we track their price, their market capitalization, their trading volume. And also we track their death activity 
and we track their wallets and when they spend money out of them. So when you open the table, you can see uh, the current price, the, cha the change of the price in the last 24 hours, the volume, the change of the volume, the current carpet, uh, market capitalization, the current uh, balance of, uh, of the project, so how much money they have in their crypto bank, let's say the crypto balance. Also, you can see uh, uh, their price to book value, which is something that is borrowed from the traditional stock world, which basically means uh, the market capitalization divided by, by their crypto assets. So how much money they have in, in the bank, let's say. Uh, and also you can see how much money they spent in the last 30 days and what is their de development activity. So what, allow, what this table, for example, allows you to do, a very simple example, is that you can, uh, for example, sort all the projects by def activity and then look at their balance of, of Ethereum that they have and compare this to their market capitalization. And you're going to see that there are some quite active projects that has relatively low capitalization compared to the money they have in the bank. So there will be projects that are really, really active in development and they have their price on the market is basically the same as the money they have in the bank. So this can give you the information that, well, potentially this is a project that is uh, managed to get a lot of developers. They're working on some product. They also have quite a lot of money in the bank and they're still compared to the money they have in the bank, they seem to be undervalued, let's say. You know, this, this could be or this could be true or it might not be true, you know, but you, you, you can decide for yourself, but the data is in front of you. It's like on, on a single page. Or you can see another project which has a very, very low death activity. So they simply nothing is happening on their GitHub account. But their market capitalization is huge, like compared to the money they have, they have collected. So, you know, this kind of analysis we are trying to show on such a page so that people can, you know, make such kind of uh, insights about the project. So trying to combine some fundamental data with the current market data, which is quite important. I think right now people are so much concentrated on just the market data, like what's the price? What's the volume? Like maybe you heard about this insane thing, people uh, basically investing in anything that's below $1. This is just insane. Like there is no any reasoning behind this. You need to, you know, as the market matures, you need to get more fundamental data into the picture so that you can assess which is overvalued and which is undervalued. Agreed. So someone investing in crypto assets should be performing diligence, due diligence. And due diligence requires looking into the fundamentals of a project. What is this project going to be delivering in five years, in 10 years? What kind of value does it actually provide? Are the people who are working on this project capable of delivering value. And if you look into 90% of the projects, probably more, and you take a look, you take a good hard look, and you assess it honestly, there's probably not going to be much there in five to 10 years for, for your average project. The, the, you know, the token that you're purchasing is 
probably going to be worthless. I mean, there obviously are projects where it's going to work out. I mean, hopefully, at least either Ethereum or Bitcoin works out. What should be the diligence process for like if somebody is evaluating buying into one of these ICOs, they're looking into buying a token. So actually, first of all, we should just assess the people buying stuff that's less than a dollar. There are a lot of these people and they are not performing fundamental analysis. They're just buying in the hopes that it's going to go up so that they can sell it after it goes up. They have no concern for what the fundamentals are. If we're talking about diligence and we're talking about sentiment, sentiment wants to provide tools and resources that people can use to perform diligence because this was this is what you would do as a responsible investor whether we have responsible investors today in cryptocurrency or we will have them tomorrow eventually they're going to want some kind of platform that allows them to do diligence so if i'm a cryptocurrency investor what should my diligence process be what are the different things that i should be looking for if i am assessing an ico for example yeah. Well, it definitely depends on which stage of the project you, you want to invest. So you might be a very risky type of investor that says, okay, I want to invest only in pre-ICO projects. Then I guess the due diligence that you need to do is, you know, look at the project website, uh, figure out what exactly they're trying to achieve, try to buy their idea, basically see whether what they're trying to do, actually something that you believe is going to be successful. You need to check their team. You, you need to see, you know, where these people are coming from, what other projects they worked on. It will be best if you can get in contact with the team, maybe join their Telegram channel or, or some other medium that they're, usually these projects have a place where they, they talk with the community. So you need to join that, see what discussions are are happening there. Maybe you're going to have some questions, so start to ask questions, figure out whether these people actually have an idea of what they're doing. So, you know, this will be like the due diligence that you do on a pre-ICO uh, stage, I would say. If you do a due diligence in a post-ICO stage, then you can use other fundamentals. You can, for example, the def activity is something that you can look at. Uh, whether this def activity is actually something valuable or it's just some uh, continuous integration bot that just posts, you know, every hour, uh, like a hello world message uh, in a pull request. Like you, you need to, to verify that. So you need to, to check the numbers. Also, this is something that actually we are, we are in progress of developing right now. You can analyze the token economy behind the project. If it's, if it has, issued some kind of a token, the blockchain allows you to look at, look at this token and see, you know, how much it is used, uh, how, how many uh, addresses are out there that are uh, transferring this token around. So if you look into this, especially in, in some data of, of this token economy, you can figure out whether the project is picking up speed or maybe it was just used at the beginning and then, you know, it's only traded on some exchanges. Um, you can do, you know, research on, on Reddit, you know, see what people are, are talking about the project and all that. Basically, you know, there are many things that you can decide to, to look at and you need to 
actually believe that these metrics are, are telling you something uh, important about the project. But I think these data sources that gives you, I'm, I'm a strong believer that these data sources that are not coming from humans, let's say, not somebody saying on some uh, medium article, go and buy this, but something that you extract from the blockchain or you aggregate from uh, social media in some good way or, or extract from GitHub or something like this. Uh, such kind of metrics can be actually quite valuable in your due diligence. But basically, you need to do a lot of reading. It's not as simple as just looking at the price and say, oh, it's below a dollar, let's buy it. That's, yeah. <laughs> I would agree with you if we were talking about traditional equity in a company, because all of the metrics you're describing are earmarks of something that is growing uh, in usage or in a number of the things you mentioned were more that could have been growing because of speculative value. And I, I think if we're talking about, you know, metrics that are growing because of speculation, we can kind of ignore those if the, in the, an overheated market. Because if we're talking about due diligence, I think we're mostly talking about, I mean, unless we're totally speculative investors, we're talking about fundamentals, long-term value of a token. And the thing is, you can have an ICO, your token is not equity. Like that is not the same as saying somebody is buying a percentage of this company. You're saying here is a token that will play some role in our network. And you have you actually have to devise a token that will increase in value as the company or the network increases in value. And those two things can be disambiguated. For example, if Chuck E. Cheese's this, you know, a video game arcade sells and has an ICO for a token, uh, and then they open up a bunch of Chuck E. Cheese virtual reality arcades, yeah, sure, the value of the company has appreciated, and all of these tokens that they've given out probably will appreciate, but what if they decide to close all the arcades and just convert all their buildings into restaurants, and then the token holders don't get to do anything with their token? Then your token is worthless, but the business is still doing well. So the value of the token is not necessarily tied to the value of the business. Would you agree? Well, on the other hand, if the business doesn't have any value, like if it's not doing anything, I, I can't see how the token will be of any value at all, to be honest. The thing is right now, the crypto market is so overhyped that there are these tons of, of tokens out there. And I think for many of them, I'm not sure that there is much development happening behind them. And I'm pretty sure there are tokens that are just doing marketing, like just marketing and, and spreading, uh, trying to market themselves as much as possible. And then there has been several exit scams already where you know somebody does an ICO, uh, they have like a beautiful website with some pretty pictures on it. They collect some money and then in several months, everything is gone. Like you try to open the website and it doesn't exist anymore. So the money are gone. So in that sense, I think, you know, uh, you need to have a successful business in order for your tokens to be, to be valuable. Now, the situation where your business is successful and your token is not valuable I don't know. I mean, 
I'm pretty sure that if your business is successful, you can figure out a nice utilization for your token so that you can give back to your investors, let's say, because the holders of your token will be your investors. And I think you have the responsibility against these people to increase the value of the token as your business grows. I would agree that there is a responsibility, but I'm not sure if there's a necessity. I mean, you take a look at XRP slash Ripple, XRP is not really used for anything. Ripple as a company seems destined for success. They have a whole lot of intelligence about how to interact between banks and the cryptocurrency system. So I would place a bet on Ripple if I could buy equity in the company, but I'm not going to buy XRP because that is not buying Ripple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there is this uh, train of thought there. Actually, I don't have a position on, on that thing. Personally, I haven't done uh, a lot of due diligence on uh, Ripple. It might be the case, it might be not. I'm not sure what is their plan and all that. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, it could be that XRP does turn out to be, they could invent some mechanism for it that actually sees usage. So Santiment does have a token. You did have an ICO. It sounds like the goal with the token is you do want it to be something that is tied to the success of the company, but you're not exactly sure what role it's going to play in the the company is that correct like you would just you sort of ico'd and just your goal is in the future to have this token play some role in the economy such that it can rise and fall with the success of the company right actually right now the idea of the token and i think this basically has been the idea from the very beginning is to be a kind of a scarce resource that gives you access to the data the more sophisticated the more interesting a data source that we develop is, the more some tokens you need to own in order to have access to this data. Uh, Now, right now, we provide all the data sources that we compiled so far for free, and this is going to change. Like, it won't be forever. And for some of the more advanced data feeds, I guess there'll be several layers of, uh, let's say, payments that you need to do. Because, you know, Information is very valuable in the investment world. There could be different mechanisms to utilize a token. One mechanism you could be you log in with your address where we can see how many tokens you have. And then we can say, okay, you need to have at least this amount of tokens in order to see this data feed. The moment when you transfer these tokens away, you lose access to the data feed. So it's, you know, you won't be able to see, uh, to see it updated anymore. There could be another model where you also need to pay given amount of tokens, let's say every month or every week or whatever the interval, so that you can keep access to a given data source. And the idea behind all this is that you can, this way you can value different data sources, you know, in, with different price and also provide a scarcity so that not everyone has access to something that you believe is very valuable. Why do you need a specific token to provide that? Why wouldn't you just have people pay in Ethereum or Bitcoin? Well, you want to have a fixed supply in order to, to have this scarcity. When you have the token, it allows you to, you know, first is the fixed supply 
And the second is the smart contract that you have behind it. So for example, with this smart contract, you can right now in our smart contract, it, it's possible to have subscriptions. So you can through the blockchain subscribe to the service and you know, you're gonna be having like uh, monthly payments in with your sum tokens. It's all done through the blockchain. So we're thinking in like, especially Maxim, the CEO of the company, he's uh, really thinking hard in how to put all this decentralization thing into the whole picture. Because a traditional Bloomberg terminal is a very centralized entity. It will be interesting to see how you know, we can put more decentralization into the whole picture. Now, for me as a technical guy, um, I see quite a lot of problems with this decentralization, quite a lot of challenges in order to be achieved, especially when you talk about a data collection platform. It's not only about, I don't know, trading crypto kittens or something like this. Uh, it's much more complicated than this. So it will be an interesting challenge how to achieve it. But, you know, in order to, to have all this and also in order to have like the ICO and all that, you, you basically need a token. Yeah, I'm just still confused why you need a token, though, because if you, you could just set up a smart contract that says, OK, this person has committed some amount of Ethereum like you could just use Ethereum. You could just com- commit some number of Ethereum to the Santiment smart contract and have that contract pay out over time. You know, you could have a transfer. I can commit 5,000 Ether to the Santiment contract as my subscription to Santiment. And that means that I get access to proprietary data feeds as long as I leave my Ether committed to that smart contract and it's gradually being depleted over time and the, you know, the amount, maybe if there are more and more data feeds that I'm subscribing to, then my entry in that smart contract will change over time and I'll be charged more and more. But Ethereum itself has a scarcity. So why not just use Ethereum instead of creating a token? So this, I think this question will be uh, much more like it will be better targeted to Maxim that uh, created, drove the ICO behind all of it. I think uh, we'd better talk with Maxim. Uh, he'll give you like better examples why you might need to have a separate token economy from the Ethereum token economy. Because we're talking about two different token economies here. And, you know, Ethereum has... You know, although, you know, sentiment is kind of tied to the Ethereum token economy and the Ethereum governance, let's say, in some sense, because it's built on the Ethereum platform. But when you have your own token, then you have much more freedom in order to figure out what's your own governance model of the token. And in that sense, you are not tied to the governance uh, token with with Ethereum. Also, keep in mind that with Ethereum, you're as a miner, you'll be getting, you know, Ethereum tokens. With some days, you don't have any mining in place. So there are no new tokens created, nor, well, there could be tokens destroyed, but definitely there are no tokens created. You're kind of, you know, you, you can always argue that the price of the token also is kind of tied to the Ethereum price, but it's not actually the case. Like, it's not always the case. Usually these assets are, uh, moving uh, together, but if you have a separate token, 
it's def its price is definitely influenced by how the product is doing and how the dev team is doing. So in that sense, having a separate token gives you much more independence from Ethereum and also, I guess, more fair value of your product than being tied to Ethereum, let's say. Because if people don't believe in your product at all and they think that you're not going to do anything, they're just not going to buy the token and its price is going to go to zero. Price of Ethereum will, like, it might go to zero, but then everything will crash and collapse and all that. In that sense, I think it's much better definitely to have your own token when you develop such kind of product for this particular case. Yeah, I guess I'm still confused. So what does the token do for people today? So right now, as I said, all our data feeds are free. So if you log into the website, you can log in on the website using MetaMask. And we're going to see that you have a certain amount of tokens in your wallet. Right now, uh, it doesn't really matter how many tokens you have because, as I said, everything is free. But at some point, we still haven't decided on the particular date and what will be this particular data feed. But at some point, we're going to say, okay, so in order to access this particular data feed, you need to log in with your wallet and you need to have a certain amount of SAND tokens in order to see the data feed. Okay, right, right, right. So what is an example of a data feed that you would want to charge for? One of the ideas has been one... So we are developing this kind of a technical indicator that tries to predict when a price of a given asset increases, but the volume of the asset is decreasing. This has been one, uh, one idea to have it as a paid, not so much of a data source, but a kind of a notification uh, that you receive if you staked tokens on the website. So maybe this is going to happen through Telegram, let's say, a Telegram bot, which you your account. And then if you have enough tokens staked, you're going to receive a notification. Well, right now the price is, uh, is increasing and the volume is decreasing. So it's possible that the price has approached a top, let's say. So this is something that uh, we have as an insight from crypto traders. That's a kind of an indicator that the price of a given asset might have reached the top. Uh, another thing that we've been thinking to make as a paid source is also some alerts on increased social activity for some projects. And here we are talking mostly about more high-frequency social activity. These are like Telegram channels, troll boxes, uh, and all that. Because usually these are the channels that react the fastest to the price. Twitter... And Reddit are a bit lagging there. But the idea is to be able to get some real-time notifications when something is happening and get it on your mobile phone, basically. Are you sure that the social interactions are good indicators? Because, again, it just seems like one of these things where it's very easy to dupe at scale with with lots of bots. But I guess, I don't know, maybe that's, that's something that you... Uh, you know, it's not quite solved yet. You're still sort of in the, in the nascent stages of, of building this side of the product. Well, we look at the data. So what we do is that we collect some data and then we look into it and see whether it makes sense. 
if we see that it's distorted by, I don't know, bots or, you know, some strange activity, then we're going to try to clean it up. But so far, with what we've seen is that these high-frequency uh, social channels are kind of reacting to, to price uh, quite fast. Uh, so they could be a kind of an indicator that something is happening out there. One other part that I forgot to mention that could be very interesting to people is this blockchain uh, data that that could be extracted. We are actually developing right now this pipeline for crunching right now the Ethereum blockchain, but after that we're going to extend it to other platforms too. But uh, you can extract quite a lot of valuable information there. And this is something that there has been some work done on, on this topic. But I, I believe that if you set up a good platform that allows you to iterate very quickly on different ideas and be able to compile you know, different insights out of the blockchain data, you can actually extract some very interesting data feeds that you can sell to people. So where are you in the product roadmap? Like what are the the near-term goals and then maybe the six-month goals and the 12-month goals? So when I joined the company in mid of October, so that's been like four months ago, I guess, something like that, we had to, one of the first things that we had to do is to establish our development platform. So a technical stack that we can step on and be able to build stuff on top of it. And we, we chose to use uh, Kubernetes and containers on Amazon uh, so that we can uh, scale very fast and be able to plug in services written in all kinds of languages to be able to have an easy access to storage like Elasticsearch, you know, uh, S3, you know, their managed uh, database services are very valuable so that you don't need to manage it yourself. And I think, so we are past this. Uh, and also, you know, setting up like continuous delivery uh, pipeline, uh, be able to roll out fixes very fast, be able to do like production deploy several times a day and all that. So we are past this stage where everything is set up there. And we also had to rewrite some of the front-end stuff because when I joined, the website was basically at the stage of the proof of concept that was written for the ICO. So it had to be modernized, to be rewritten in React.js. We had to rewrite the backend. We currently utilize uh, GraphQL with uh, Elixir backend as a kind of a, like a facade, like a a GraphQL facade behind, uh, which hides all the other services behind it. And we, we wrote this in Elixir because it actually allows you to do pretty cool stuff. And behind, you know, this Elixir frontier of the application, we have many smaller services that are collecting data, uh, putting them in different data sources. Also this um, big data pipeline, which is something that Took us a little bit more time than I anticipated, but I think right now we are on the right track to finally finish it and uh, have a, a big data pipeline that allows us to, you know, basically write MapReduce jobs that can scale on, on many machines and be able to run. Like you have on a, basically the idea is 
you have an idea about a given data source, you sit down and within a week, you're able to write the source, upload it to some cluster, run it, iterate a little bit on it, and then get your data feed in front of you on some uh, staging environment where you can look at the graph and uh, decide whether it's worth doing or not. I would say that on the backend side, we're basically there where you can develop a service, put it in a container, write your deployments, deployment scripts, because I believe that each developer should be deploying his code. I don't believe in this paradigm where you write something and you throw it over the wall to some DevOps people to run your thing. Uh, basically, the developers have access to the Kubernetes cluster. They write their recipe. Uh, they upload it there and they see you know, how it's working, fix any problems that they might have. Of course, they get uh, help from uh, DevOps people, especially if they need some special storage to be set up and all this. But the thing is, we're trying to gather a team uh, and also it's like a remote team from different places with different backgrounds trying to collaborate and they need a place where they can deploy their stuff you know whether it's python whether it's some node.js app or some other uh, funky language they should be able to deploy it there see their data and then continue from there and i think on that front we're actually doing pretty well I really want to see this big data pipeline up and running. I, I think this is going to happen in the following weeks. And from there, as we accelerate and be able to iterate more and more quickly, I think we'll, we'll be shipping more and more stuff, you know, much, much faster. So I would say that this is, you know, on the technical, at least on the technical side, side of things, this is where we are right now. Yeah, and I probably should have spent more time going into that stuff because I know you use Flink on the data engineering side of things. We certainly could have talked a little bit more about AWS and Kubernetes and whatnot, but I guess I got a little wrapped up in the ICO madness. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, Valentin, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. It's It's been great talking to you about sentiment. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I hope that I've been able to give you some uh, insight on these topics. It's a crazy world right now with these cryptocurrencies, but I think it's good that it cooled down a little bit, but I hope that people will get more intelligent about managing their money and doing their own research, their own due diligence, identifying good sources from bad sources. And I hope that with our platform, we'll be able to ultimately make the market more efficient. Because the more data you present to people, the more good data you present to them, uh, this data gets incorporated in the price. And this way, I hope that good projects will get on the top and the bad projects will be identified quickly and will disappear very quickly before they manage to do a lot of harm. So yeah, thank you for having me. Wow.